Okay, it says it's going. I'm going to go ahead and let you read, and Sergio's checking it, but go ahead. Man, chaos, mighty, blood. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate all day long. I command, make me wiser than my day ever with. More insight, all my statutes. I have more understanding than the elders. I obey your precepts. At my feet, every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, but you yourself have taught me. Sweet are your words in my days, sweeter than the honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every Okay, there you go. I hate every wrong path. Got some prayer requests here. Um, well, this isn't a prayer request, but we've got uh, Paul... Eleanor and Amy send greetings to the church there over in Australia, and uh, that's especially for Resurrection Day, but uh, I threw that in for today as well. And um, Kathy's daughter is dysmorphic, if you know what that means. It's you got a little uh, uh, blemish in your life, and it affects everything. Like, I, everybody's going to hate me because I've got a, a something that maybe somebody doesn't even know. You know, I mean, nobody can even see it, but um, she's she's just got... Uh, uh, this condition that makes her feel that she's everybody is going to notice you know and she's asking for prayer about that and also she's got a nephew that came out as transgender and so she's asking for prayers with that this is obviously a world where this is being pushed and people are yeah falling for it um sean is having heart troubles and um uh that is made worse through doctor troubles he's got some you know you you got to bad doctor and you can't change him because in other doctors three months down the line and so he's he's kind of stressed over this and also he's got uh house repairs that uh he had air conditioner it was installed wrong it got mold into the house it caused damage to the house and it's caused health problems but at the same time the contractors are doing a terrible job they're probably being paid by an insurance company and they don't care so poor sean he's just having a difficult time with this so i'll keep him in prayer and then um, somebody emailed me, uh, can't give a name, but uh, he emailed me, asked for personal prayers for marital troubles. And then he said, you know, I just, I feel like uh, uh, he just kind of expressed something that a lot of people have expressed lately, a lot. And I said, you know, it's probably something I should mention to people is that um, uh, I've got people that are saying they they're feel like they're shut out they're depressed they're you know they're fighting with a spouse things that are not normal and he said i just don't understand why and i said i know why because i get this all day every day in emails and i tell people the same thing is that we have um uh, a nation that's gone or a world that's gone into lockdown and the suicide rates have gone up all around the world okay we talked about japan a couple weeks or a month or so ago in the update that they and 17,000, whereas regularly they might have 1,000, whatever. It was some huge number. And this is happening all over the world. And if people are expressing, people that are already on the edge are expressing their life in suicide, then you've got other people that are going to express it in anger towards the spouse. They're going to express it in, you know, the kids can't go to school, and so they're going to express it in this way. And you may think that you're alone in this and that whatever is, you know, your life has changed and there's something wrong, and it's causing you trouble, you're not alone in this. 
there are people all over the world and all over the nation that are experiencing all kinds of troubles, and they're not talking about it because they think, well, it's just me. It's not just you. This is something the whole world is. Plus, if you're a Christian, you've got the added, not only the lockdown, not only the coronavirus vaccine choices and all these crazy things that are being put at people, but you also have the moral decay. And, you know, you're not the aberrant one here. You're not the one that is on the outside. You are the one that is in the right. And these people are pushing something and it's causing you personal conflicts in your inner thinking. I know that's the case. because spiritual. spiritual battle. Well, that's what this is. It's a spiritual battle which is being expressed in moral crisis around the world and other types of crisis. And so uh, if you're feeling this way, what you need to do is you need, and I'm not plugging the superior word here. I'm, I'm plugging you either get to a church or attend online in a church. And you need to stay in the word as much as possible. And if you attend online, whether it's this church or another one, fellowship with the people. If you can't get a church that you're with, fellowship with the people online and let them know that, you know, you're glad to be with them and to share in Christ and just live your life as if you were in a normal situation as much as you can. Because if not, then you are being depressed. You're being overloaded by this world and you don't want to have that happen to you. So uh, the best thing for you to do is to stay as close to the Lord as possible and understand that you are not the odd one out here. You are with people that are all experiencing this. I mean, all over. I get some of my friends will call me and say this to me. I get emails about it and I get them from other countries. So please just understand that you are not alone in this and it's something that we all need to uh, uh, be aware of. And uh, let's see here. um, uh, Earlier in the week, I didn't hear from her today, but Becky and Mark in Colorado who have just had a, a, a chronic continuous set of problems are still having some problems with their health. And so we want to add them into prayer as well. And um, I guess we'll do that right now. Heavenly Father, we do come before you. We ask that you uh, would give us strength in this very odd time in human existence. It's a time that uh, is probably uh, unparalleled since World War War II, where people had to live in confined spaces and were afraid to go out. And uh, obviously there's little enclaves of this that have gone on in wars and places like this around the world since then. But on a world scale, I don't think there's anything since World War II to challenge humans and their uh, ability to express themselves and to be uh, feeling like they're free and able to move about like there is in this world right now. And so please uh, help your people to understand that it's not them that is the problem, but it's what's going on and that we need to just draw closer to you. We need to be uh, in your word. And we need to be in fellowship with you and talking with you and contemplating you and talking to others about you as much as we can. Lord, help us to do this. It's our responsibility and it should be our joy to do so, even in our affliction. And Lord, we also pray for each person that was mentioned. We uh, uh, thank you for the fellowship of the people that we can contact and just talk with through email and on the phone, something that, you know, just only since recent history that's been available to us. And now we can reach out around the world and do these things. So we thank you for that. And Lord, we certainly pray for this class that you would be with your people and help us to uh, have a, a class which is properly conducted and that it would be in accord with your word and that you would be glorified through it. We certainly pray this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we got uh, this day in Christian history. Today is 
April Fool's Day, May, April 1st. I don't know how that came about. It's just when you say April 1st, it just immediately, the first thing you think of is April Fool's. And uh, uh, I saw Volkswagen a couple days ago said that they were changing their name to Volkswagen because they're coming out with electric lines instead of only gas. And it was an early April Fool's joke, and the media went crazy. They they went crazy, like, you can't do that to us. It's unfair to do that to us because they bought into it. The media in this world is most of the problem. I mean, big tech is a lot of the problem, but the media is a real problem. And if you are watching the media, if you're listening to them, that'll depress you right there. My recommendation is, you know, I mean, I do a superior word update, and I have to research for it, and I try to make it enjoyable for people. But, you know, if you can stay away from the news as much as possible, that's what I would do. I mean, I give you something from a biblical perspective and categories that deal with what's going on in the world. But even then, you know, I read these things and I'm depressed every single day. Every day when I get done researching many hours and, you know, I read hundreds of articles, I have to go and lay down for 10 or 15 minutes and clear my head of it. So I understand, you know, what people are going through. And if you can limit yourself from that, keeping away from the news, you're only going to get yourself angry. You're only going to get yourself depressed. Facebook will do it to you. I understand these things. So I'm not telling you not to go on Facebook, but I am elated to not be on Facebook anymore. I'm just elated. Okay, April 1st. Jesus summarized the rest of world history. On a April 1st, AD 33, as Jesus was leaving the temple, I disagree with that. He was crucified on 11 April of AD 32. Uh, Robert uh, Stephen, not what's his name, uh, Robert uh, Stevens, uh, Robert, uh, I forgot his name, what, Stevenson, thank you. He, uh, he did the calculation. It is correct that Daniel's uh, 77s points to um, AD 32, 11 April of AD 32. Robert Anderson, that's who I wanted. Why did I say, any? thank you. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Sir Robert Anderson, he went to the uh, star charts in the uh, Royal Observatory of England, and he did the calculation from 445 BC, the decree of Atarsarsis. And I don't want to get too far off on that, but I disagree with their dating here. A lot of people just say AD 33. That is incorrect. Um, there are other ways to verify the date, AD 32 as well, but we'll go with um, what they're saying right now just for the commentary. On April 1st, AD 33, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds in Jerusalem, his disciples began talking about the beautiful stonework of the temple. But Jesus said to them, the time is coming when all these things will, will be so completely demolished that not one stone will be left on top of another. In uh, AD 70, the Roman legions completely destroyed the temple, fulfilling Jesus' prediction. Later that day, when Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples, still thinking about the destruction of the temple, asked, Teacher, when will all this take place, and will there be any sign ahead of time? He replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming to be the Messiah and saying the time has come. But don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must come, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, Nations and kingdoms will proclaim war against one another. There will be great earthquakes, and there will be famines and epidemics in many lands, and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs in the heavens. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons, and you will be accused before kings and governors of being my followers. 
This will be your opportunity to tell them about me, so don't worry about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply. Before I go on reading Jesus' words, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He's speaking about events that are going to happen to Israel, and he's not speaking to the church. Okay, so get your dispensations down properly, and you'll understand, and you won't make the error of saying, oh, he's talking to us directly. He's speaking to Israel, the things that they would go through. He never referred to the church. He did refer to it after the resurrection. But during his time, uh, he was sent to the house of Israel, and he spoke about matters relating to Israel. And that includes the seven years of tribulation, which are given to Israel at the end of the age in order to bring Israel into a right relationship with him. So just so you know, this is speaking, Jesus speaking to Israel about Israel. All right, even such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply. Even, uh, let's see here, where am I? Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you, and some of you will be killed, and everyone will hate you because of your allegiance to me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Let those in Jerusalem escape, and those outside the city should not enter for enter it for shelter. Eusebius, the first Christian historian, tells us that when the Roman armies were about to surround Jerusalem in AD 70, the Christians living in Jerusalem received a divine revelation telling them to flee, and all escaped to the city of Pella. The divine revelation they received instructing them to flee was no doubt from Luke's gospel. Jesus continued, those will be the days of God's vengeance and the prophetic words of scripture will be fulfilled. <clears throat> How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for mothers nursing their babies, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Once again, he's speaking to Israel about matters related to them. <clears throat> they will be brutally killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem be conquered and trampled down by the Gentiles until the age of the Gentiles comes to an end. Then everyone will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds with power and great glory. They skipped over a few verses from 24 to 27 there, but that's giving you what's going on. Uh, Matthew speaks specifically about the end times. Luke is speaking about the, the immediate future for them. Either way, and then he does get into the end times as well. Luke does. But either way, it's speaking to Israel about what's happening to them as a people, the believers in Israel, okay? Jesus tells us that between the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and his second coming is a period called the Age of the Gentiles, that this is a time in which we are now living when the church is made up primarily of Gentiles, not Jews. This age will end with the return of Jesus on the clouds with power and great glory. They've kind of mixed things there. Jesus is going to come for the church at the rapture. Jesus will come on the clouds with great glory, as it says in Revelation chapter 14, and that will be uh, at the end of the tribulation period, returning to Israel, because that's who he was speaking to. What happens to the church is a little different than believers in Israel. Do you believe that Jesus will come again? If you do, how does that affect your life. And then uh, Luke 21, watch out, don't let me find you living in careless ease and drunkenness and filled with the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware as in a trap for that day will come upon everyone living on earth. Keep a constant watch. So there you go with that.
and we'll put that right there and let's see we got that done we got that done and we're going to be here so if you want to read um we're in ephesians 1 14 is where we're starting out today so you might as well go back at least 13 further back if you want let's go to the left In him, we were also chosen, having been uh, predestined according to the plan of him who works out things to the purpose of his will, in order that we, first to hope in Christ, may be praised in his glory. And you also were healed. You heard the word of truth, the gospel, salvation. Having believed, you were the seal of Christ's Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guarantee our inheritance until the redemption? Those who are God's possession. Okay, says basically the same thing, but the New King James Version reads, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Okay, um, Having said that, last week we did 13. 13 and 14 should have been done together, but there wasn't time last week. And uh, there, you want to read those verses, you want to think on them, and you want to think about the competence of God, you want to think about the assurance of God, you want to think about the trustworthiness of God, you want to think about God outside of time. He can't make a mistake. God cannot lie. If he gives a guarantee, it is assured, etc. Think about those type of things when you think about these two verses. Because these two verses say, I'm going to take them together right now. It's right to look at both of these verses together for the proper context. In him, Christ, you also trusted. The word trusted is in, inserted there, but it's a good insertion. But we'll leave it out when I read it, and you'll see that. In him, you. Also, after you heard the word of truth. So just take out the word of trusted and you can still see it makes sense. In him, you also, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You've just been presented the gospel. Okay, that's the main thing that you want to think about right now. You have been presented the gospel. Okay, anybody, I'm not talking about you individually. I'm talking about whoever, somebody, a little child who hears the gospel and is saved and then never gets any discipleship for the rest of that person's life. Okay, or a person that's 92 years old and hears the gospel, accepts it, and dies the next day. Or what about somebody that hears the gospel at 45 years old and uh, goes on fire for the Lord and eventually gets um, lobotomized in a car accident and no longer knows who Jesus is? Or what about a person that gets Alzheimer and has no idea who Jesus is? Okay, I don't care what the circumstances are in that person's life, I do not care. What matters is what this word says. Right now, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. That person, whoever it is, little child, old man, whoever, they heard the word of truth, meaning the gospel. The gospel of your salvation. That's the next words. The gospel of your salvation. You heard the word of truth. He qualifies it by saying the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed. That means in Christ, you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God has taken that person, that little child that never gets any discipleship and never hears another thing about Jesus as long as he or she lives, ever. 
and walks completely away from the Lord and does nothing for the Lord in that person's whole life. But that child trusted in Christ. They heard the word, they believed, they were sealed. Old person, young person, doesn't matter. You put whatever situation you want on this. This is God speaking to you through his word, telling you that he has sealed that person with the Holy Spirit, which is the highest seal in this universe and goes beyond the universe. But you can find nothing more sealable than the Holy Spirit. There's nothing of more value than the Holy Spirit. Okay, that person is sealed. In whom also, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee? Little child, old man, person that ends up drinking their life away. I don't care what pet peeve you want to throw into this particular thing. And if you want the worst of all offenders, apart from Paul, who claims to be that person, but apart from him, just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It take you this much, it take you two minutes to read it. And the worst person, Paul says he's doing something that even the pagans wouldn't do. It was so vile. And he says, that person is saved. Okay? He never questions that person or any other person's salvation ever. Okay? The Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That means you're going to inherit what, inherit what God has promised. The guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption that means at any point in that person's life until the very end and whenever Christ comes for that person. Until. It doesn't matter if it was the first person that was saved after Jesus' crucifixion or if it's the very last person and what happens in that person's life, any person throughout church history. Until, where is it? Uh, the redemption of the purchased possession. Christ is going to come for his purchased possession. That means that person believed, that person was sealed, Christ is going to come for that person based on one act alone. It's not tithing. It's not whatever pet peeve you have as far as works. You got to do this or you can't prove that you, or you know, you're not saved. I get tired of hearing that from people. Okay. This is as clear as a doctrine for, or of a verse for the doctrine of the eternal salvation of believers as you will find anywhere else. Okay. To the praise of his glory. This has nothing to do with you. I'm going to talk about that in Sunday's sermon. This has nothing to do with you other than the fact that he saved you. This is to the praise of his glory. What happens to us is wonderful. And as I'll say on Sunday, Christ wouldn't have had to have come if it wasn't for our sakes. But it's not about us. This is about God. This is about God in his glory, it is about God in his truthfulness, it is about God and what he is doing in humanity, in human history, and it has zero to do with us as far as effort. You believe, you receive. I'll give you my comments from there, okay? The believer trusts in Christ after hearing the word. It is this word which is the gospel of his salvation. This word. There's nothing else that requires you to be saved. No deed, no, you've got to do this, or you've got to be baptized, or whatever else. You know, the church Christ says you've got to be baptized. The Mormons say you got to do this. The Job's Witness say you got to do that. Everybody's got something they want to add to the simple gospel, okay? Um, somebody emailed me this week about Ray Comfort. He's in my doctrine uh, series. If you want to watch the 10 series on doctrine that I did, you'll hopefully benefit from those. But somebody emailed me about him, and somebody else told me over the past year that Ray Comfort doesn't say what he used to say anymore. 
if that's true, I'm very happy about it. But he says, what you need to, you, you've sinned. Now what you need to do is repent. He says it in that nice Australian accent. And you need to believe the gospel and repent. And that is not true. You hear the word and you don't even know what repentance is at this point. All you know is that Christ died for your sins, implying you're a sinner, that he was buried and he was raised. That is the gospel. And you believe that. That is what seals you, is when you believe that. Everything else follows after that, not before. If you say you have to repent in order to be saved, that means that you are the one that is effecting your salvation, not Christ. Christ did everything for you, and you believe the gospel. Repentance comes afterward. Oh, I didn't know I can't do that. And some of the repentance out there that comes afterward isn't in the Bible. They say, well, you got to give this up and you got to give that up when in fact it's not even in scripture. Or they say, you need to do this, like we talked about a week ago, tithing. Well, guess what? That's not in scripture. They add to the simple gospel of Christ. They add something in there that is not in there. What you do is you hear that you have a problem. Christ died for your sins, meaning I'm a sinner. You hear that message and then you respond to that message saying, I understand that he died for my sins. That is what saves you, not all of that other stuff. That's not to slam Ray Comfort, but he has his categorical boxes wrong. He's got them mixed up, and he's got them overlapping, and you cannot do that with the gospel. The gospel must be the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, and once it's accepted, you are sealed with a guarantee. Okay, let's go back to the notes now. Read that again. It is the word which is the gospel of his salvation. Once a person believes in Christ, he is sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The word for guarantee is the Greek word arabon. It is a rare word found how many times? Does anybody know how many times it's found? I say this a lot. Three. Burke got the first one, then he added to it. Don't add to the three. Okay. <laughs> Three times, that's correct. And it is mentioned three times, believe it or not, in the Old Testament. And it's a Hebrew word, aravon. It's not a Greek word. It's, it's a, 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 what do you call it, a transliteration from the Hebrew into the Greek. Very, very rare in Scripture. It's an extremely rare occurrence to have this happen, okay? There's a reason why this happened. It's because God is making a point to you, and he wants you to understand. It is found how many times in the Old Testament? Three. Okay, so we got that. It was that's all right. Can anybody tell me what chapter they are found in? Genesis thirty-eight. That's correct. Burke gets a Maserati today. Okay, Genesis thirty-eight. The story of Judah and his daughter-in-law Tamar, where he sleeps with her, and she, when he goes in and he says, "Listen, I want to come into you," and she said, um, oh, "Well, what are you going to give me?" He says, "I'll give you a lamb." Right. And she, he, she says, well, okay, give it to me. Well, I don't have one right now. I'll give it to you later. I'll send it along. She says, well, I want something to prove that you are going to be truthful. Okay, if you've never listened to this sermon from Genesis, you need to go listen to it. Okay, Genesis 38, it's a wonderful sermon all by itself. But she asked for three things, his signet, his cord, and his staff. And they are called an aravon, the guarantee what's going to happen. Now, you need to remember that Joseph was just put into prison and sold off by his brothers. And then this occurs, okay? And this is occurring during that time. And then immediately after that, it goes back to the life of Joseph. 
and that is a picture of the Jewish people in their captivity. And so you're seeing that this is a picture of a Gentile receiving the Aravon, getting this Aravon during the time of Jesus not being accepted by the Jews, okay? And this will be long to them. It will be returned to Judah someday. But in the meantime, she had it. Everybody's seeing the dispensational model here. The Gentiles receive it. It is a guarantee. She has it. And what does Judah say? She is more righteous than I. Okay? The Gentiles right now carry this sealing. All three times in the New Testament, it is referring to the sealing of the Holy Spirit. This is making a picture for us of what is going on in redemptive history, and it is a guarantee of God's faithfulness to us as the Gentile believers, and it will be transferred back to Israel, and they will receive it as well. This does not mean that Jews today who receive Jesus are not saved just like Gentiles. They are. There's one gospel. This is talking about the predominance, as they noted in that Christian history. The church right now is predominantly Gentile. It will return to being a predominantly Jewish entity after the rapture of the church, okay? This is what God has done in human history. This is how he has laid things out, but he has showed us a picture of the guarantee of our salvation in the Old Testament so that we do not make the stupid, and I mean literally stupid mistake of believing that you can lose your salvation. If you believe that, you are so wrong that you have no idea about proper theology in regards to the doctrine of salvation. And I don't mean to belittle you, but that is the way it is. God has saved his people, not with a partial salvation, but with an eternal salvation. Okay, and when I use the word stupid, that comes from the Greek word moros. Okay, anybody know what moros is? Today we would say a moron. Okay, so the word is in the Bible, both Old Testament and New. The word stupid is used, and so I don't feel bad about using it, but you need to ensure that your theology is proper. Because if you can lose your salvation five days after being saved, or five years after being saved, or 55 years after being saved, it means it was never of grace. It was always of your works. You had to do something in order to be saved and to continue to be saved, and therefore Christ's salvation of you is ineffective. It's up to you, and it is not up to you. The glory does not belong to you. And that's the problem with people that believe that you can lose your salvation is that it is all about them. I am the one that's going to affect my salvation. It is a slap, a galactic slap in the face of God for what he did through his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, and we'll talk about that more on Sunday as well. It's our Resurrection Day sermon. I hope you all be in attendance. It is uh, an honor to be able to preach once a year on Resurrection Day the wonderful day that Christ came out of the grave. Okay, um, we'll see. The word for guarantee is arabon. It is a rare word found only three times in the New Testament, and it means properly. These are um, not mine. This has got to be helps word studies. Um, a, an installment, a deposit meaning a down payment, which guarantees the balance, the full purchase price. Now, this isn't us. This is God guaranteeing it. He has made the earnest deposit, not you. God made the earnest deposit. He is not going to, it, what happens when you, what does that mean in essence? If God made the earnest deposit, that means that he is the, not yet. No, that's true. 
he is the one that is liable to us. You see that? I want to buy something. I'm the one that has to be liable to the person I'm buying it from. God is not ever going to renege on what he has laid money down on. And I'm using human terminology. I'm not saying that God, you know, but he gave us Christ. And then he said, I am purchasing you. That's how much of a guarantee this is. Don't get it backwards in this, okay? It is the regular term in New Testament times for earnest money. God has put down earnest money on you, i.e. advance payment that guarantees the rest will be given. Is God ever going to renege on something that he has guaranteed? Absolutely not. For you to say that you can lose your salvation means that God is not reliable. God is not faithful and God is not truthful. Okay? It then represents full security backed by the purchaser who supplies sufficient proof they will fulfill the entire pledge, meaning the promise. God has given you the Holy Spirit. If he reneges on that, that means that the Holy Spirit no longer belongs to him and he's God. You own that. He sealed you with it. Does everybody see how important this is? How theologically important this one word right here is to the doctrine of eternal salvation and people carelessly throw away their words by saying, oh, once saved, always saved. That's just, you know, that's cliche and that's not true and you can lose your salvation. They have no idea the ramifications of the words that they are saying when they say something like that about the eternal God. That is what they are doing. They are diminishing him because they haven't taken the time to simply read what this verse is saying in its totality. All right. Understanding the meaning of this word. It is impossible to see how anyone can believe in a loss of salvation for a person who has, at any time in his life, believed in him and been saved. You tell me what can make God renege on the promise that he has made. You tell me what he can do. Because he gave us an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 of the worst thing that Paul could think of, worse than any of the pagans. And he says, that guy's spirit will be saved on the day of Christ Jesus. Get him out of the church. He's out of the fellowship, and that may last for a week. It may last for the rest of his life, but he will be saved. And in fact, during his life, while he's living that life, what does he say? Hand him over to, to Satan. He doesn't say hand him over to flowers and, and uh, tea and crumpets on Sundays. Hand him over to Satan. Satan has full control over that guy's life while he is in the flesh, and yet Christ has his spirit on the day of redemption. He is purchased by the blood of Christ. If God seals us with his Holy Spirit as a guarantee, and if we can lose that, then one, it was not a very good guarantee. God provided a shoddy guarantee. What kind of a God are you serving? Two, it is of our effort and not of God that we were saved. What kind of a Christ are you serving? Three, it devalues the value of Christ's blood. When I say blood, people get, you know, off on tangents on this. One of my friends called me about it a couple days ago, and we talked about the blood means the soul. That means the life. When we say Christ shed his blood for us, that means he died for us. It's not the blood. It's not the, 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 the blood in his body, okay? It's the fact that the blood in his body, the soul, died. He became dead for us. That was the price of our salvation. We use the term blood 
to indicate death in this case. It devalues the it devalues the value of Christ's blood, meaning his atoning death, which was used for that purchase. What kind of a savior are you serving? Four, God made a mistake in sealing us with his guarantee. Because God can't tell the future. Obviously, if he sealed you with something and he made a mistake, that means that you, what kind of a God are you serving? An omnipotent, omniscient, and um, uh, omnipresent God? Or are you serving a God that's limited, finite, and has no idea about what's coming 30 seconds from now? That's what it comes down to. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, you are following the wrong God. If we can lose our salvation at any time after being saved, then salvation is not of grace. It is of works. Our works, not Christ's works. Your works are what save you. What a pitiful God. Good luck with that. This word, Aravon, comes from the Hebrew word, Aravon which is found only three times in the Bible, all in Genesis 38, in the account of Judah and Tamar. See, I didn't have to talk about this earlier because it's in the commentary. In that account, a picture was made, was being made of the work of Christ, including the Gentile-led church age. As noted, the word arobon, the Greek, is found only three times in the New Testament. The other two times are in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22 and 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5. In all three uses, it is referring to the pledge of the Holy Spirit. He is our surety and our guarantee. As the sealing is the sealing of God in us, it represents the highest of all authorities. It further represents an eternal decree of God. When God makes a covenant, it is eternal in nature. Now, it can have an end. A covenant can have an end. But if it is a covenant, it is eternal in its nature. It cannot be revoked except by its fulfillment. Okay, so when Christ made the the uh, covenant with Israel, it's an eternal decree of God, but it can be ended as it was through Christ's work. Okay, now the new covenant is in Christ's blood, and that is eternal, and it cannot be ended. There are no stipulations for it to come to an end, and therefore it is eternal in its very nature, okay? There's a difference between those things, but, yes? What was that reference in 1 Corinthians 5? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 5. One, 2 Corinthians 1, 22, and 2 Corinthians 5, 5. Well, 430 has that. But it's not that word. Oh, it isn't? No. Yeah. I, what do they say in 430? 2 uh, Corinthians 430. He's getting us off of our class because he, his brain goes on a completely different wheel See, than everybody else. You were sealed for the day of redemption. Yeah, it, that would be the word sfragizo, uh, okay? That would be a different word, the sealing. This is the pledge. This is the guarantee. Oh, okay. So you've got a seal and you've got a pledge. Okay. okay, so yeah, that's okay. I'm glad you did that because it, people will see the difference. There's the sealing and then there is the pledge, the earnest deposit. He is the earnest deposit. You were sealed, sfragitza. I'm sure that's the word. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. If somebody checks that and they email me and I'm wrong, I'll report it next week because I won't remember this when I get home. But I'm pretty sure it's the word sfragitza, which means the sealing, and he is the seal. He is the earnest deposit, okay? So if somebody has the Greek and they want to check that and email me if I'm wrong, please do. But uh, I'm pretty sure that's correct. 
Anyway, uh, but only three times in the New Testament is the word arabon used. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up, though. When I say he's working on a different level, it's like me. When I'm sitting in a Bible class, I do the same thing. I, I, I just got to know I do the same thing. Okay. Um, he is our surety. He is our guarantee. As the sealing of God it is in us, it represents the highest of all authorities. Oh, yeah. Here it goes. It further represents an eternal decree of God. I was talking about God's eternal decrees. When God does something, it is eternal in nature. Like I said, something can have an end in that if it is to be superseded by something else. But God's decrees are eternal. When he says, I am going to save somebody, that is an eternal decree of God. It is not something that can change unless there is a reason that is explicitly stated. In this, there is nothing stated. There is nothing in scripture that says you can have this pledge removed. Okay, it is an eternal sealing of God. His decree cannot be changed. It is an eternal decree. It can never be undone without violating the initial decree, which is what he did when he made the earnest deposit. We're not the ones doing this process. God is doing this process. We are involved in it by faith. And that's all we're involved in it by. We're not involved in this process in any other way. Jesus Christ did every single thing from God the Father, the eternal decree of God to save us. He says, if you believe this message, the proper message, not a false gospel, which Paul talked about in Galatians, if you believe this message, God will then go further and he will seal you. He has made the initiative in this process and he will not neglect bringing it to its completion. So if you understand the sealing of the Holy... And this comes into play with the rapture as well, you know, because Paul talks about that in 2 Thessalonians, you know. Um, let me take that. I'm going to stop right there. What's that? Uh, the verse of, I, I don't know, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, no, no, no. 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, what I'm thinking of is the taking out of the church. Okay, yes, 1 Thessalonians 4 is where he talks about the rapture, but he talks about the how it's going to be affected in 2 Thessalonians 2. So he says, I'll just start in verse 1, and you can see, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering, and we'll be in this book very soon. 1 Thessalonians is only four or five books away, or no, it's only a couple books away. So we'll be there very soon. What? A couple more weeks. Okay. Um, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word, or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ, which is the, what's, what's he talking about? The day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come. Those words are inserted, but they are appropriate. Speaking of the day of Christ, unless the falling wave comes first and the man of sin is revealed. In other words, you're not going to know who the man of sin is. You don't need to worry about that because you will be gone. He's putting everything in a logical order. So we don't come up with the error of saying, oh, I'm going to guess who the Antichrist is, and oh, I'm going to be here for a mid-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture. He lays everything out for you right here if you just take his words in context, okay? And the man of sin is revealed. That's the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That, that's further defined in the book of Revelation. Then he says, 
right here. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? So they didn't pay attention and he needed to put it down in writing so that we wouldn't make further mistakes about this doctrine and believe that there's a mid-trib rapture, which people still twist God's word and say it's mid or post-trib rapture. It says, and now you know what is restraining. What is restraining? The Holy Spirit. Before I go on, people say, well, if the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, and that's what Paul is referring to, then how can he be taken out of the way? That's a category mistake. It's speaking of the sealing right here of the Holy Spirit in believers. In other words, the church. The Holy Spirit is never going to not be any everywhere. He's always going to be everywhere. I hope I got my knots and I hope that was correct English. He is always going to be everywhere. It is speaking about the presence of the Spirit in his people in this unique way. Not that he isn't omnipresent, but the presence of him. So we'll go on. Do you not remember when I told you I was still with you? I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed, meaning the Antichrist in his own time. We're not going to know it. So don't worry about guessing who the Antichrist is for the, oh, where was I? Um, yeah, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains right here will do so until he is taken out of the way. People say, is it speaking of the Holy Spirit? Is it speaking of the church? doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is the one that identifies who the church is. It doesn't matter. Either way, it's the same precept. The Holy Spirit is being taken out. And because we have him as a what? Guarantee, an earnest deposit, it means that we must be taken out or God has failed in his earnest deposit. He cannot take away the Holy Spirit from believers and be fulfilling of this promise that is made in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Hence, pre-tribulation rapture, okay? If people disagree, that's fine. Disagree all you want. You are entitled. This is one thing that God allows you to do. He allows you to be wrong in your theology. <laughs> he allows that, okay? Because you are unwilling to research. You're unwilling to check God's word. And don't get me wrong. Burke and I were talking about an old sermon yesterday, and I was reading something. I said, Burke, that's wrong. I made a mistake. I don't know why. I would, I, it's right there in front of me. Pay el pay it was, mouth to mouth, and I translated it as face to face because I just went along with the New King James Version. And I should have stopped and said, this actually says mouth to mouth. And it bothers me that I have that in there, okay? Because it's God making another point about things in the, the books of Leviticus, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He says face to face. He says face in face. He says mouth to mouth. He says eye to eye. Each time he does that, he is making a point about something that we need to discern. Why is this the difference? And of course, everybody just translates them face to face. All of them are different, and yet they all just say face to face, and it is not correct to do that. And so I just went along with the New King James Version, and I I can't believe I didn't take the time to do that, but it must have been a sermon. I don't remember, 23 Exodus, maybe, or whatever. And I must have been overwhelmed. 33. 33, whatever. Okay, I, you know, because sometimes you get these sermons that are just got so much information, and it's just overwhelming. I, I'm not trying to make an excuse, even though I'm making an excuse. Anyway, so there you go. Um, this, is, this is what this is speaking about. Exactly what I just read you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the restrainer. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is what Paul is referring to without saying it. He doesn't need to. There's no need to say it because he's given you a timeline saying you're not going to be here. 
this guy is going to be revealed after that day. And if he's talking about a restrainer, then it can only be one thing. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is the church is restraining the wickedness in the world. When the church is taken out, they are going to be unbridled wicked. They already are, but they're going to just, they're, they're just going to, it's going to be unbelievable because they're not going to have the people of the church to fight against. Right now, we have legal teams that fight against these things. We have people that are willing to stand up against these things. We have people, you know, I heard something. Somebody sent me a video just a little while ago. Listen to this. Australia, in school, children were made to stand up. All the boys come to the front of the class and apologize to all the girls for being rapists. Oh. Yeah. This is going to be on steroids when the church is gone because some Christian is going to come and they're going to say, we're not going to tolerate this. And they're going to come against them legally and they're going to say, you can't say these things. But it's exactly what's happening with all the other matters. We're to blame because we're in this category. We're to blame. This is going to be unbridled wickedness when the church is out of here. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God's not going to let us go through that. He's not. We, people have gone through much worse. They've been martyred for 2,000 years. But this is the church as a whole. It's not just a group of people in a country that are dying for their, their you know, belief in Christ. That could happen to us, right? It happened to the girl at Columbine. What? Remember that school? And guy put a gun in her face and said, you're a Christian. She, he said, tell me now you're a Christian. She said, I am. Shoot. Okay. As noted, the era bone is found only three times in the New Testament. What a brave young lady. But she was willing to die and not, re, you know, recant on her faith in Christ. The other two times are in 2 Corinthians 1.22 and 2 Corinthians 5.5. I've already read that. Okay, as the ceiling is of God is in us, it represents the highest of all authorities. It further represents an eternal decree of God, decree of God. Okay, therefore, we are 100% secure as we wait. 100% until the redemption of the purchased possession. Paul's words. What is being referred to here is the complete and final salvation from sin and death. That is Charles Ellicott's words. It's a wonderful thought. Listen to it again. The complete, well, my hair's standing up, and final salvation from sin and death. Imagine what it's going to be like when we don't have sin. I mean, we're so infected with us, it's just it's part of us. It's part of who we are. It's part of poor Hidako. I got mad at her today. I'm trying to do something. I was so frustrated. She's ready to go. And I said, just stop or whatever. And she, it's just sin in you. It's, you know, I should have said, let me put this down and I'll give you a hug and a kiss. And then you go. And I just was, you know, I'd been working hard all morning. I was tired. Something happened. I don't even remember what it was, but I mean, it's all behind us now. But this is, this is our lives. We're living in boxes that are they get frustrated, they get chemically unbalanced, they get diseased, they get, we get frustrated in a million different ways. And we have other people that we're dealing with and we have lockdowns that we're dealing with. We've got, we're forced into taking a vaccine that maybe we don't want, whatever it is. These things cause us stress. And I can't wait for what, I'm gonna read it again, the complete and final salvation from sin and death. Oh, oh. Yeah, Sinsex. The girl we do mission work with is who we're speaking about. She she says we're just stuck here in Sinsex. That's all they are. My question is, but it's because we have work to do. We, that's right. We've got work to do until, and that's why we're out there at the missions every Saturday, even though sometimes we don't want to be there or here. Yeah, we're here. That's right. 
Okay, um, what Charles Ellicott said, this indicates the result of the action, not the action itself. Once again, keep your categorical, categorical boxes lined up properly, and you won't make the mistake that it's of us. It's not. I'll read it again so you hear it. This indicates the result of the action. We are free from this sin sack, this state of sin, not the action itself. In other words, we have already been purchased by and through the work of Christ. I'll talk about that in a different context on Sunday. Same thing. You're going to hear the same concepts because this is not about us. If you make this about us, as I will say on Sunday, it's a very vapid existence that you have and a real sorry hope that you have. It is not about us. In other words, we have already been purchased by the work and through the work of Christ. This is evidenced by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. He did everything. He did everything necessary for you to be saved. And then he says, I have purchased you. Here is the guarantee of that for the coming redemption. This is the guarantee. Now, what you have to question in yourself is, and I'm not asking you to question in anybody else because that is not right. You can question in your mind. I'm not, I, I'm, I, in other words, you don't want to go saying because Franklin Graham did this or did that over the past week, he can't be saved. Okay. I talked about that on Sunday. Franklin Graham will face Jesus on his own merits apart from this sin sack and the chances are he's saved, but I'm not going to question his salvation. He has done everything necessary over the many years for me to believe that he is a saved Christian. If he makes really stupid political decisions, or if he makes really stupid medical decisions, so what? All right? It is totally an act of God that he is saved, and it has nothing to do with all of those other issues. Okay? If it had something to do with all of those other issues, then it would be his salvation. But what I would ask you to do is to say, have you believed the proper gospel? Okay, because you can question somebody that has believed a false gospel. What Franklin Graham preaches is always the correct gospel. And I would believe that he has accepted what he preaches. All of the other stuff outside of that gospel is what you want to maybe question as walk with the Lord or this or that. I'm talking about the gospel. If you know that a Jehovah's Witness is called on a Jesus that is not God, you can know and you can question their salvation because they have believed a false gospel. And this is what you must do with your own self. It is up to you to question yourself. Have you believed that Jesus Christ is the incarnate word of God? He is fully God and fully man. If so, then you have believed in the proper Jesus. And the gospel you've been given, is it that he died for your sins? Is it he was raised? Is that, or he was buried and that he was raised on the third day? If that's what you believe, then you have believed the proper gospel. That's your responsibility. Everything I'm talking about here after that, it was done by Christ. You accepted that one thing. That's all you needed to do. That is your big part in this categorical box, which is the box of salvation. Not the box of works, not the box of preaching sermons incorrectly and telling people you have to tithe and all that kind of stuff, okay? It is the gospel of your salvation and everything else in this box is up to Christ. Not you. Okay. Everybody got that? Do I need to say it 10 more times? Okay. Somebody emailed me today and they said, thank you for repeating things all the time because it helps. Uh, maybe it was yesterday. 
Anyway, it, it helps us be reminded of these things because you get caught up in life. You're not the one that's, you know, once a week you're in Bible study, once a week you're at church, and the rest of the week you're doing electricity or you're doing, you know, insurance or you're doing brain salad surgery or whatever, okay? The, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Whatever. It just came to mind, okay? I was thinking of somebody else in, in the, the room here right now that is brain surgery, okay? And I threw in the salad. I don't know why. Sorry. Okay. Whatever. Okay. So, um, uh, it's up to Christ. Okay, so we're going to go on now. This is evidenced by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. What is being referred to is the action that will be taken at some future point based on what has already been purchased. Okay. This action is noted in 2 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 7. Once again, there it is. I... In 2 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 7, where Paul speaks of the revealing of the coming Antichrist. I can't believe that this was in this commentary because I typed this years ago and I haven't looked at it since then. But uh, the he referred to in this verse, the one that I just cited, is the Holy Spirit with whom we are sealed. Paul says that a day is coming prior to the revealing of the Antichrist that the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way. This is the rapture of the church. Well, you can see how everything's so interconnected. If I can remember that after all these years, you can see that it's interconnected, okay? We will be taken to be with Christ during the time of tribulation, which is coming on the earth. As noted above, if the Holy Spirit is taken out and we are not, then that was not a very good guarantee. In fact, I would call it a crummy guarantee. God made a mistake and we're following the wrong God. I would go so far as to say that. And guess what? If I'm wrong, I'm the one that's got to stand before the Lord and say that I said these words about him. I am that convinced that God is faithful in his salvation. I am that convinced, okay? I know that there is a God, and I know that I'm accountable for what I teach. And for me to say something like that flippantly, can I imagine the anger of the Lord? If I'm saved, I'm saved, but I can't even imagine the displeasure of me calling that guarantee a crummy one if he reneged on it when that's somewhere in the Bible and I missed it. Great is thy faithfulness. That's exactly right. Okay. This is, this is serious. I mean, when you're teaching in the Bible and you teach it wrong, you are accountable for your doctrine. That's all there is to it. Okay. So as noted, I said that rather we are guaranteed. It says right there. Right there in the word, guaranteed to be taken out, just as the Bible states. God cannot lie, and our hope is secure. And all of this is, as I said at the beginning, and I stressed it as I was reading it, because it is something that people just flippantly pass over, to the praise of his glory. Not our glory. It's not about Charlie Garrett. It's not about you and your misery or your sniffles or your, you know, your divorce from your wife or whatever is going on in your life. And I don't mean to diminish that, but that is not what this is about. This is about God's promise of your spiritual salvation. All of these earthly things are things we all have to live through. Some of us have worse than others. Some of us have better than others. Sometimes I lay in bed at night and I think, why have you blessed me so, Lord? Why? I see people in misery. I don't know if it's still in the kitchen. Is that picture of the girl washing that kid in the kitchen still? It was years ago, and it was just was so filled with grease, it might have gotten taken down. But I saw a picture of a, uh, a person washing their kid in a little tub in, in uh, like 
Vietnam or China or somewhere, just the, the poorest possible conditions you could imagine. And I put that up there and I said, I never want to forget how blessed I am. And is that still up there or is that down? We painted the walls and I think it's not there anymore. But it was so, you know, she's cooking and she's she's a Japanese, so she likes to walk. Sometimes she walks her dog. No, not really. Anyway, um, but yeah, we get we get a lot of grease up there. And so uh, that was an old, old thing. But I always remember to look at that in the morning and say, I've got it so good. Why do I have it so good? You know, anyway, uh, but this is all just earthly stuff. This isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about what he has done and what he is guaranteed. Okay, so... Um, uh, his plan of redemption, where where was that? To the praise of his glory. Where did I say that? Oh, there it is. Vincent's Word Studies notes that this final clause, to the praise of his glory, is to be taken together with the words, you were sealed. Everybody got that? You were sealed to the praise of his glory. Why would he seal you and then unseal you if it's to his glory, if it's to his honor, if it's to his magnificent? He wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. Vincent's Word Studies notes that this final clause, to the praise of his glory, is to be taken together with the words, you were sealed. He's the Greek specialist, and there are all kinds of Greek specialists out there. I trust him above almost every other one of them. He does marvelous word studies. He doesn't give commentaries. He just studies words and how they interact with other words. You get into commentaries, and you get some great commentators that don't know how the words interact. They understand Greek. I understand English. I don't understand how words in English interact. And so I may miss a concept in something I'm actually listening to. Everybody got that? Vincent doesn't do that. He takes a different approach. And when he says this is tied to this, there are very few times I would ever disagree with that guy. Very few. Okay. Our uh, is to the praise of his glory because it conformed. Let me read that again. Uh, yes. Our sealing is to the praise of God's glory because it conforms to God's purpose as it respects himself. Once again, I'm sure that's Vincent's word studies. This is all about him, all about what he has done and about what he has stated. He has uttered words. They are written down in his canon of scripture, and we have to simply trust that they are true. That is why we believe the Bible. Why would we come to Bible study if we didn't believe the Bible? Why anybody goes to Bible studies and sits there and diminishes the Bible or Cambridge scholars that constantly tear apart the Bible, the Old Testament, not the New so much. They constantly tear it apart. Like this is, you know, inserted later. Moses didn't say that. That was written by somebody after the exile at the time of Daniel or whatever. They make this stuff up. Why would anybody even listen to somebody like that? Why would you do it? His plan of redemption is that for which he is to be glorified. The sealing of the Spirit, based on faith in the work of Christ, is what brings him this praise. He is glorified through the way he deals with his redeemed. It has this much to do with Charlie Garrett. This much. I'm talking about this process. I simply receive it, and everything else is up to him. Everything is stated by him, explicitly, by the way, and everything else glorifies him. All of it. And praise for this. And okay, he is the glorified through the way he deals with his redeemed. And praise God for this wonderful plan. Isn't that wonderful? This, I'm telling you, if you can't get this basic, this basic part of theology right, every single other thing that you do in your Christian walk will be affected. 
Because if you can, if you believe you can lose your salvation, then it is all about you, buddy. It is all about how good you are and how bad everybody else is. And you're on the bell curve and you're way at the top and everybody else is down here somewhere. It's all about how important you are in the church and how important your church is over that church over there that believes you can't lose your salvation. That's what it comes down to. It all comes down to you. What a sad, vapid existence. Most people that, that, that really believe that typically not talking about themselves. Yeah. It's always you. That's right. It's like, That's right. They're always pointing fingers. That's what I'm saying. Right. They're better than everybody else. I know that I have to work to keep my salvation, and so I'm going to be a good boy. And look at that person over there that's a bad boy who struggles, struggles with his salvation every single day, knowing that he is unworthy of what he has received. I won't say his name, but I talked to somebody about that yesterday, and I said, guess what, buddy? I do too. Every single day, I struggle with the fact that I, God would even save me. Why would you save a guy like me? He and I, we were talking, and everything that he said matched the way I feel inside. We're just on the same level of feeling so unworthy for what God has done, because we know that it's true. We have no doubt that this is true, and that what he has done in us is so undeserved in us. How great and glorious is this God that would do this for us? Isn't that right? But when you start making it about you, all of a sudden, everybody else is the problem, and you're the holy roller. Well, I've been in churches like that. Life application, if you have doubts concerning the doctrine of eternal salvation, then all you need to do, if you're willing to put aside all your presuppositions and your arrogances, is to think logically about what God's word says. If your salvation is up to you, then it is not by grace. If not by grace, then we are pursuing the wrong God. Because the Bible says that God saves us by grace, through faith, works are ex dead. That's it. And I like the dead at the end because your works are dead. If you believe that, your works are completely dead. If you're saved at all, which isn't my choice, but if you are and you're out there teaching people this doctrine, you are not going to get any rewards for it. I guarantee you, you're going to get nothing out of it. What you should be doing is saying, let me help you with your problem instead of pointing your finger at him saying, oh, Franklin Graham can't be saved because he told us to get injections for a COVID vaccine. Who cares? That has nothing to do with salvation. That is not a salvific issue. It's just a goofy thing. He's got a brain that went under the water too long. He didn't get enough oxygen and he said something dumb. I mean, that's all that is. It has nothing to do with salvation. Okay, 115. You know, if you read John 17, where he says, Father, keep them. Keep them. He's prayed for us. He's prayed for us. He says, not only them, but those who have heard the word through them. Yeah. He's, he's prayed to his father that, and he's also said that all that he has, he will lose none. I know that's a misquote, but there you go. Christ has said it. Christ has prayed to the father about it. And the father's going to turn that down. In the eternal counsels of God, God is going to say, I'm not going to listen to what Jesus prayed for. What a, what a helpless theology. Okay, go ahead, 15, 14, yeah, 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, the Lord Jesus, and love for all the saints. Okay, this one says, therefore. Yours says, for this reason. See, you can't be saved. You're reading a Bible. That's I know, it. look at that. <laughs> just being, I'm just being a jerk here. <laughs> therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, this is Paul saying, 
And what is he saying? It's saying to people that he knows that they have the faith. He just talked about the process of it, and he says, you have that faith. In the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He's talking to saved believers about the process of salvation for saved believers. The eternal process of it. Paul's wording here is very close to the wording of Colossians 1, verse 4. It is known that Paul had visited Ephesus and that he had not visited Colossae. For this reason, some look at this letter as not being written exclusively to the saints at Ephesus. However, he uses similar terminology in Philemon 1.5 also, and so the address solely to the Ephesians is not necessarily to be considered a later edition, nor is this a reason to dismiss this letter as a forgery, which people love to do. And they say, oh, see, he said this, and he said this, and he wasn't there, and he was there, and so we know that this is all just, and they try to pick apart the Bible. Paul is entitled to write in, you know what I write, I try, people say, you know, they write me a letter or something, and I write him, I'll try to write him a handwritten letter back, and I try to say the same thing every time. Sometimes I forget, but I'll say, be blessed and encouraged in Christ, right? If I do that, I say, be blessed and encouraged in Christ, and I say it to the same person twice, or if I say it to somebody and then I say it to somebody else, is there, it, was that written by somebody else? Was that a forgery? You know, people will try every reason. If you have the four Gospels and they said exactly, oh, the Synoptic Gospels, forget John, the three Synoptic Gospels, and they said exactly the same thing, what would people say? That was forged. That was forged. They just copied each other. But if you've got any difference at all, the same people will say, that's forged because they don't agree with each other. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do with the Gospels, somebody will tear them apart because they're either too closely matching or they're too divergent. But there's no contradictions between the two. They just don't say the same thing. It, 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 people will find every reason to tear apart the Word of God instead of simply studying it. For And I'm going to tell you what, I've been reading this Word for years, and I've been studying it for years. I know Burke has too. And I can tell you that I have never found anything except awe and wonder. Burke will call me up. He did yesterday. He was so excited. And then he called back and right, right away. Oh, because I didn't pick up and I didn't know it. That was two days ago. And so yesterday I, I clicked on the computer because the computer was already off and it went to the magic jack in the computer. I thought, oh, this is important. So I called Burke right away. And what's up, Burke? And oh, he's still panning 24 hours later wanting to talk about the Bible. It's marvelous. Oh. I wish everybody had the, the hunger for the word. Okay, um, where was I? Oh, yeah, for this reason, some look at this letter as not being, okay, however, he uses similar terminology in Philemon 1.5 also, and so the address solely to the Ephesians is not necessarily to be considered a later edition, nor is this a reason to dismiss this letter as a forgery. Therefore, the word therefore is based on verse 13, which concerns their having heard the word of truth, and then having believed. Based on this, based on what he said in verse 13, okay, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. They heard the word, they believed, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Therefore, Paul says, because of these things, he said, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. Everybody seeing the process? They heard, they believed, and because of this, I heard of your faith and your love for all the, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He will state in the next verse what the result of these things are. 
for now, it is sufficient to concentrate on the words at hand. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, that's Paul's words, are the words scholars lean on to state that the address to the saints who are in Ephesus is a later addition. Okay, so somebody says, oh, this is added in later. Okay, as Paul has been there and personally seen the faith of those in Ephesus, the logic is that there would be no point in stating this. But as we have seen above, he uses the same terminology in Philemon. Who led Philemon to the Lord? Paul. So why, why would you find a contradiction or a later insertion in there if Paul says the same thing to somebody that he led to the Lord? Why would he do that? You know what? If I go to a church that I led to the Lord five years later, and I say, I'm so happy to see of your faith in the Lord Jesus, somebody will say, well, you're an imposter. That's the logic people use. You can't be you because you already knew we had faith in the Lord. I, I don't know. People just love to just find reasons. And it, it, I'm upset. I'm actually upset right now because I read these things. I haven't read this in years. And I'm sitting here at 3 o'clock in the morning typing a commentary on it. And I'm thinking, what are people thinking? I'm angry that people want to abuse the Word of God simply to show how scholarly they are. All right. Um, let's see here. As Paul had been there and personally seen the faith in Ephesus, I read that, okay. Um, instead, this is speaking of their faith, which obviously continued to grow, both in number and in maturity. Paul had not been to Ephesus for some time. When hearing of their status, his words were of elation. And because they were, they make complete sense. If Charlie Garrett leads some people to the Lord and they start a church and he comes back five years later and they're weak in their faith or the church is closed, the reaction is going to be completely different, isn't it? The words translated here as your faith are literally the faith among you. It is the only time he uses this phrase. And it therefore lends credence to the thought that this letter actually was addressed to the Ephesians. As he has been gone, and as the faith among them had expanded, it is natural to think that he would have heard of it after it occurred. He is pleased to have learned of the state of the Ephesian church. Hey, he's got some of his letters. He's practically crying. You can see the tears falling out of his face as he's writing to them, especially Galatians. What have I gone through? I've gone through all of this for you, and this is the result? He's almost weeping. You can just see it in there. Of course he's elated. Of course he is so happy. He's just beside himself with glee that this group of people is growing in faith in the Lord. The words, in the Lord Jesus, do not give the same idea as towards the Lord Jesus. Faith towards Jesus is centered on Jesus, whereas faith in the Lord Jesus embodies much more. It signifies a faith which acknowledges God's work in Christ, and thus it is a faith which includes the plan of God, the Father, as well as the work of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. Each of these has already been noted in his opening words. I'll take you to verse 3. Go ahead. You read it. you got it right in front of you. Verse 3 and then verse 13. 3. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay, 13. 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, 
He will mark him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, there you go. Um, let me find something really quick here. And I'm going to read you our text verse. Not the passage verse, the text verse for Sunday. And I want you to think about this for the next couple days, okay? Sunday we'll have a sermon. This will be our text verse, and I'll talk about why I'm giving you this text verse. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Think about those words until Sunday. Don't read the sermon in advance, and don't go read my commentary. Just think about those words, okay? Write it down, one, 2 Corinthians one twenty, and just think on those words, and then we'll talk about them and how a person can go from a state of almost misery to a state of tears over those words, okay? All right, 3 and 13. Paul is especially elated to hear of both this faith as well as their love for all the saints. The Paul's words, love for all the saints. There is an evidence of their faith in Christ. It is the expression of that faith being worked out among those who are also in Christ. It is the mutual respect that all believers should have, but which is sorely lacking among the redeemed in today's world. Doctrinal differences lead to immense divides in the church. Some of them should not be. Some of them should be. Okay? People talk about, um, oh, well, you know, we want to stand when we're singing songs. and No, we should kneel when we're praying. And they, they divide churches over these things. But if you think about it, it can actually be a healthy thing because now you've got two churches in a town over something that a church should not have divided over. But there's always logic and wisdom behind what happens with God. Okay? Anyway, among the Ephesians, such problems may have existed, but their love remained strong towards all believers. It was, therefore, of exceptional note. Paul is saying, good job, guys. Okay, I'm going to read you a life application. We're going to have to finish. I'm sorry, only two verses today. It might be an extra week before we get to 2 Thessalonians, but um, uh, I'm not going to have time to do the next verse. Verse number, uh, what is it, uh, 17, 16. Yeah, there's no way I'm going to get it done. So we're going to read life, life application. And uh, With the Bible written, we have our source of doctrine for proper Christian conduct and belief. Because of this, Divisions within the faith are certainly more pronounced. When a congregation practices something which clearly violates Scripture, it is rather hard to continue to show them fraternal love. They are demonstrating disregard for the Word and thus for God who gave the Word. It will be good when Christ returns. Won't it be great when Christ returns and sorts out all of our many differences, both petty and great? I'm telling you right now, the great differences. God is going to deal with, and it is going to be severe, okay? He says, yet they will be saved, yet as by fire. That's right. They're going to be saved, yet as by fire. It's not going to be pretty when we have doctrinal issues in a church which are not properly handled. It's not going to be. It's going to be a scary day for people, okay? If they're not saved, that's a completely different issue. They're not going to have to face the Lord as far as doctrine is concerned. They're going to have to face the Lord as never receiving the Lord, and they're just going to get chucked into the abyss, okay? That's a completely different issue. But for people that believe that the word is true and they are unwilling to pursue proper doctrine, there is going to be very great sadness. And then there'll be joy after that because he says he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's a promise from the eternal God too, 
okay? The same God that says that you are saved and you are saved forever also gave that promise. And we can trust that we're not going to, whatever he has planned, it's going to be so wonderful. It's going to be so glorious that we are not going to worry about these things, okay? All these little petty things. You know, I was thinking uh, that this is kind of a joke to end the uh, class. There are some people I just don't ever want to deal with again, ever. I'm talking about saved believers. And uh, 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 I kind of laughed at myself when I thought, you know, that's why God gave us eternity. It's because there's a point where we're just going to have to go, go and deal with them. Anyway, such is life. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the chance to uh, come into your presence and to share in your word. And what a great word it is. Lord, if we take your word and diminish it in any way, forgive us. Because I'm certain that most people would not intentionally do that. Yes, there is the perverseness that would do that. But help us to hold fast to your word. Help us to not only hold fast to it, but hold fast to it in the correct context. And we would pray, each of us here today, I know this is true, that you would lead us to a right understanding of it. If Charlie Garrett is wrong, I know that people will want to know what's right. And if I'm wrong, I certainly will want to know so I can correct that. So Lord, please give us wisdom in your word and help us to be faithful to it all the days of our life. But more importantly, to be faithful to our walk with you in Christ Jesus, our Lord who saved us, who went to the cross for us. Thank you for Jesus. Tomorrow we're going to remember that day and we're going to celebrate it in our hearts what Christ was willing to do to redeem us. Thank you, Lord God, for that. And we praise you in his name. Amen.